Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. My name is Dean. And today, well, before we get into the podcast, we're going to shout out a listener who sent us an email. Their name is Sid, commenting specifically on episode 239, our world of weird news. Yes. They like it. Good. Their suggestion is maybe do one shorts show a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Had a couple other <laughs> ideas and suggestions for us. Love it. Keep them coming. Yeah. We take all of your suggestions. My favorite part was them telling us to tell the kids they miss them. <laughs> <laughs> tell the kids stop being so damn busy. I'll try. Okay. Well, thank you. I don't know if I can do one a month, but yeah, I would like to do more of those. Yeah, what's kind of fun. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so this is going to be part two of our three-part Bloody Bender series. So, Dean, take it where we left off last time. Okay. Well, I'll do a quick, quick little recap of part one. Okey we doke. learned about the Bender family that came to Frontier, Kansas in 1871. They settled in. They opened a kind of way station, kind of a general store slash inn slash house, 16 by 24 foot cabin, situated right along the Osage Trail, a main, main method of travel. And again, this area of southeastern Kansas, there was very much the edge of civilization at the time. Then some travelers, in fact, quite a few travelers through the area started coming up missing. Even a couple, three bodies were found as well. Folks blamed it on a band of outlaws, that it was some, you know, rustlers or something like that, were, or, or just bandits were killing people along the, in, in the area, along the various uh, trails. Then people thought maybe it's something a little more insidious. What really would ultimately bring the benders down to the degree that they were ever brought down was that they, they went too far when they picked on somebody who was not only immediately missed, but also was part of a family that was fairly powerful in the area and had the means to do something about it and to find their missing family member and to not stop until they did. Okay. That's part one. So we take up with the story of Alexander York. He was a Union Army colonel during the recently ended Civil War. Since then, he'd been a lawyer in southeastern Kansas. He had settled in Independence, as had many of his family members. I think they came originally from Missouri. He was a state senator in 1872, living in Independence. The family was pretty prominent within Kansas. His dad owned a very successful nursery. Oh. So he was a, you know, a, a well-to-do business a nursery. Person. A nursery made him a pretty well-to-do businessman. Interesting. Didn't think nurseries existed back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure they did. One of his brothers was a doctor, so, you know, they're a pretty important family for the area at the time. York, as I mentioned, Alexander York was a state senator. He had earlier taken on the very powerful Kansas U.S. senator named Samuel Pomeroy. He was kind of the mover and shaker in Kansas politics. Alexander York thought he was really corrupt, didn't like that. Also, he didn't like that he thought Pomeroy really just didn't do anything for southeastern Kansas, where... Uh, Alexander was from, and so he started bugging this guy back in D.C., or he, when he came back to Kansas, he'd bug him, and, and Samuel Pomeroy just kind of big-timed him, ignored him. I'm like, okay, little state senator, I don't give a shit about you. There's a time, yeah. by the way, where it was the um, the state senate of the states that actually elected U.S. senators, oh. so maybe it wasn't a brilliant strategy, but he was like the, he was a, kind of a kingpin, so he thought he could. So what 
Pomeroy did was that he started advocating. They, they were investigating the allegations that Samuel Pomeroy had been elected to the Senate back in 1866 through bribing various state senators. This is 1972. He's got to get reelected. So they're investigating this. It's a big deal. If mm-hmm. they come up with evidence, he would not get reelected. His career is over. Oh, okay. So he goes. He um, met Alexander York, one of the state senators who uh, would, would or would not vote for him, and gave him $7,000 in cash to get his vote. That would be a ton of money. It's a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. He got his vote. He got a promise of his vote. So the next day during the hearing in New Pomeroy, mm-hmm. Alexander York gets up and Pomeroy thinks, okay, he's going to say great things about me. Nope. He took out the cash, dropped it on the desk or table right there in the Kansas State Senate building, and told them everything that had happened the night before in his hotel room. Wow. It was a jaw-dropping performance. Now, obviously, that you know ruined his career at the same time it ruined Samuel Pomeroy's career. But, you know, he, he felt better about himself. Yeah. But I love the, um, I don't know, the irony, is that the right word? That Pomeroy's solution to a bribing the Senate scandal was to bribe the Senate. Right, again. That's yeah. great. That's politics. Love it. So this kind of destroyed Alexander York politically. So he went back to independence to practice law. And he was kind of this polarizing figure. A lot of folks hated him because Pomeroy was very powerful in the state. Yeah. A lot of folks loved him, especially like the reformist newspapers loved him. They thought he was a hero. Mm, sounds familiar. Does it? Yeah. Constituents not caring oh. about the corruption of yeah. their <laughs> elected leaders. That's true. For whatever reason. Because of this antagonism and a lot of the sort of the business class, the, again, the, the important wealthy movers and shakers of Kansas were pro Pomeroy because they were part of his, his group. Yeah. Because of this, young Dr. William York, Alexander's younger brother, was pretty gun shy about his relationship with his older brother. Because again, so, and sometimes he was even said that he would deny that he was indeed like, oh, huh. William York? Is Alexander York your brother? Whoa, who, what? Never heard of him. <laughs> so pretty, uh, you know, pretty painful little interfamily world that had been brought out here. But William York was just this, he was a quiet guy. He'd been a doctor in the Civil War and had been captured by the Confederacy and horrifically Ooh. tortured wow. by them. They, in a, in a, you know, they, there was some incident where some prisoners attacked a guard and they didn't know who the prisoners were, and no one would come forward and say, it was me. So they just grabbed the first, like, 17 people nearby, and they literally hung them by their thumbs oh, nice. for hours and hours and hours. Just excruciating. I don't know. How, how would, you, would your thumb just be permanently ruined? He's I a, would he's think a doctor. so. Yeah. I would think so, too. But anyway, he was kind of, I mean, nice. we'd now call him, he had PTSD for sure. Sure, yeah. So he just went back to Kansas and wanted to lead a quiet life. He didn't want any conflict. So sometimes, unfortunately... That induced him to deny his, yeah. his un, sometimes unpopular brother was his brother. So on March 3rd, 1873, William York got a letter from George Longcore's wife's family in Iowa. You might remember George Longcore yeah. from part one. He and his wife, Mary Jane, because what's the rule in Kansas this time? Everybody's wife is named Mary. At some version of Mary, yes. They had befriended William York and his wife and family, so they were good friends. And when William, because remember, Mary Jane died, and so right. William was going to move back to Iowa and take 
young Mary Ann to his two-year-old daughter with him. <laughs> yes. yes, her name also yes. had Mary. William had helped him, you know, had, had wished him well. He even sold him a wagon they would move in at a really good price, a discount. So they were good friends. And then in March, so William learns that George and Marianne had never arrived in Iowa back in that frigid December when they had left. Right. He'd already heard about a wagon that had been found abandoned in Moorhead, which is a town northeast of Independence. The men who had stumbled onto that wagon said they had found the clothes of a grown man and the clothes of a little girl inside the wagon. Uh So with that news, and now the news that they hadn't reached Iowa, William William feared the worst. So he decided, you know what? I'm kind of duty-bound to do something about this, to find out what happened to my friend. He had heard that George had been seen in a town called Fort Scott. And so in this spring, in early March of 1873, he decides, I'm going to go to Fort Scott and start looking for George and his little daughter. He reasoned that if he just sort of followed their route, the route they would have taken north to Iowa, he'd eventually find some trace of them and, be, and just see where it led. Right. You know, follow as much as he can in, from town to town. And you know, hear what he hear, hears. You know, I mean, it's a grown man, a little girl in a wagon. It wouldn't be. You know, these are fairly small towns. He felt like I could at least find out what happened to them. So his wife, Mary... Yes. Let's go ahead and say it. William's wife was Mary. I'm not even making this up, by the way. She hated this. She didn't like this at all. I mean, she, I'm sure she, she was friends with uh, George also, but still, she was terrified. She said she had a really bad feeling right away when he said what he was going to do. I'd want him to take somebody with him. Yeah, you know, you know. Buddy yeah. system, people. Buddy system. Yeah, he did not do the buddy system. Yeah. He went alone. She feared for the fate of her and her children, but William's loyalty towards his friend overwhelmed these worries, and he, and also, by the way, his desire for this uneventful life, he just felt like, you know, I've got to put that in jeopardy to do with the right thing here. And so he set out into this, still, I'm, I imagine, pretty chilly, early March, yeah. Kansas Prairie, and he went there, and he, he set out alone. So on March 4th, he went to his brother Alexander's house in Independence. He, he'd leave from there, which I imagine, you know, I'm sure they had a nice visit, but they probably avoided the whole, by the way, do you ever deny my existence conversation? <laughs> I'm assuming. Apparently, William went to Moorhead, that town where they found the wagon, from, and it, he took a, one look, and he goes, yep. Because yeah. remember, he had had that wagon. Yeah. He knew it was the wagon he had sold to George, so he knew something happened. Yeah. And it's pretty early on in the journey, he had a, the wagon had been abandoned. What, what, what did that mean? But he was confused because Moorhead was not on the route that George should have taken to Iowa. So William in Moorhead goes to the authorities and says, okay, I found my friend's wagon. Something happened to him here. I'm positive. You need to do something about it. You need to help. You know, I, I, need, I need help there by myself. Yeah. And so the local sheriff apparently, you know, got a couple of few locals together and did a perfunctory search of the area and didn't find any trace whatsoever of George or his young daughter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, boop, they did the whole casino, clap, wipe their hands, show the top and bottom to the camera, and they were done with it. It was, we don't find anything in our patch that we're responsible for, this county. That's it. We're done. 
yeah. the city, actually, I think. I don't know if he was a city or county official, but they, yeah. they did very little. I know. They're terribly undermanned. There was, again, this is a time where there was, little, there was not much law. There was not much government yeah. at all. So it was, it was a, that's why it was kind of the Wild West. I assume they talked to people and asked people if they'd seen them. I, at least the, the sources tend to say, like, they did, they did very little. They oh, did a okay. minimal effort. Yeah. William knew George's route to Iowa because he had helped him plan it. They'd actually oh. planned it together. So he was pretty sure where to go. Yeah. And he started on that route. So he so again, Moorhead was on the route, but he took, you know, he he went back and, and he caught up with the route that that George would have taken north. And he started going from town to town, at least and you know, hey, have you seen a man and, and a and a toddler daughter in yeah. a wagon? The the weird part would be okay, once you get to where the route would have veered off uh-huh. to Moorhead, is that what it was called? Yeah. The chances are they're not going to be beyond that because yeah. how would they have gotten there how without gotten their there? wagon? Yeah. And well, then how did their wagon get to Moorhead? He also wanted to know if they, exactly. He also wanted to know if they had got somewhere else first. So one of the early yeah. stops on that route would have been what's called the Osage Mission. Uh huh. That we talked about a minute ago, that father, right. what the hell his name is, Paul something? Pontifoni. <laughs> he, so he, and that would have been an early stop. Yeah. He went there, described everything, and came to, up empty. So now he's thinking, okay, they didn't make it very far at all. Right, yeah. William stayed the night, I think in the Osage Missionary, or, or that area at least, he stayed the night with a local family. And here's, it gets uncomfortable again because yeah. the local family recognized his name and the, um, the local householder, his name is James White, he asked William about the whole Pomeroy affair with his brother Alexander. And, yeah. his, and, and William said, uh, no, I, uh, different York. coincidence, different yeah. York. It's not my brother. William then got up early, got on his horse, went on his way searching for his friend George. And after that, William York followed his friend George Lonker into oblivion. <gasps> William York was never seen again. Oh my God, there's like a black hole in the middle of Kansas. There is. It's around the Bendis. <laughs> so, two weeks later, March 18th, Mary York is worried. Yeah. Very, very worried. That's the day that her husband, William, had said, I'll be home. I promise you, I'll be home by the yeah. 18th. Don't worry about me until then. He's until got then. doctrine to do. He does doctrine? What do you mean? He, wasn't he a doctor? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I mean. <laughs> I thought you said you need a doctor's marriage because she is pissed. Oh, no. I wasn't sure. She should have just hired somebody. He should have, yeah. He, um, she knew that he knew that she was a worrier. Yeah. So she felt sure that if he was delayed for some reason, he would do anything he could to get word to her. Right. And no word came, and he didn't come home. So she <sighs> is very worried. The night before that, he was supposed to come home. William's children laid out his slippers by his favorite chair. Aww. And they took turns wondering, what do you think pres- the presence dad is going to get us on his travels? And Thanks, Dean. Uh, there's more. The next morning, <laughs> they got it. They uh, uh, hear a wagon. Horse, whatever, passing right by the front door on the road. They ran outside, ran to greet their daddy. Yay, yay, daddy's home, daddy's home. It was just somebody, somebody else passing by. So these must have been fairly young children. They were young children, yes. Because old children don't care about when their dad That's true. Yeah, there's a a point where they stop (sighs) screaming, daddy's home, daddy's home, and then they could give a shit. It comes very quickly, by the way. Hopefully Mary found a new husband. Wow, you're already, (laughs) damn. 
<laughs> well, that was quick. What's she gonna do? She can't go out and get a job and support the family. It's true. So Alexander, by the way, heard immediately that he didn't come home when he had told Mary that he was going to come home. So he worried right away as well. For the same reason, he knew that his brother would never do that. Oh, so he was a better brother than William was? Uh, I don't know if I'd say that. Why do you say that? Oh, because he acknowledged his existence? Yes. In that sense, yes. (laughs) He... He also was worried because they had talked. Remember, he, was, he came over right before he set out on the journey to Alexander's house, and they had talked about how their dad was getting sick, was having trouble with the nursery. You know, you, yeah. need, you need to come home as soon as possible from your mission to find your friend. we got to do something about what's going on with dad and what's right. going on with the nursery. So, Well, maybe Alexander should have gone with him. Maybe. He probably couldn't. He was a, uh, Remember, he's a lawyer. He can just leave his practice for well, two weeks. Uh, the doctor could just leave his? Probably shouldn't have. <laughs> In hindsight, for sure shouldn't have. So he knew, again, he knew something was wrong. So Manasseh York, phenomenal name. Yeah. He's the patriarch. He's the father of the nursery. Yep. He goes, he, you know, again, he has some standing. He has some weight in this area. He goes to the sheriff and he says, my son's missing. I want you to do something about it. Alexander wrote their younger brother, Edward, who was just this, he was energetic and young and kind of hot headed. And he said, William's gone. Come to dad's house. Bring a detective with you. Hire a private detective. Bring him with you. We're going to go and find William. Finally. So that's what I mean when I said earlier that the benders, you know, obviously they have no way of knowing, but most travelers in that time were kind of, you know, like they said, they're they're gamblers or they're just just little homesteaders that have just their family is there. That's it. This one actually had a large, extended, powerful, well-to-do family, and and, and they really, that was their mistake. So the search for William started from his family. While this is happening, the Benders were finally kind of beginning to wear out their welcome in southeastern Kansas. Kate, for instance, kept bugging bereaved families to hire her as a medium and contact their deceased loved ones. She just wouldn't leave it alone. She was just ghoulish. Yeah. So she's starting to really, remember, she was kind of popular and friendly and blah, 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 and, you know. And yeah. also of loose morals. So she was very popular, but just people are just getting sick of her game, yeah. her little act. She would not stop pestering a woman named Delilah Dienst after Delilah's husband died in a prairie fire and just wouldn't leave her alone. We got to do the same. We got to do, you know, come to my house, obviously yeah. for pay. So we've been doing these things for free. Right. You know, come to our cabin and I'll tell you what happened to your dead husband. I'll, I'll let you communicate with him. This is, again, this is the age of spiritualism here. Yeah, just bring your purse. Yeah, for sure. Bring cash. Her mother-in-law, the dead man's mom, heard about this, and she just started bad-mouthing Kate all over town. What an obnoxious nuisance she was. And people simply said, you know what? You're right. Good point. William was still seen as this kind of you know gentle guy, but he was very strange, and people you know, kind of getting a little weirded out by that. And of course, Ma and Pa Bender were hated by everyone and were super unfriendly. No one ever saw them hardly anyway. So they were kind of just, you know, becoming those neighbors that you don't want around. Yeah. Like our asshole neighbors who have occasional giant, incredibly (laughs) 400 decibel karaoke concerts every now and again. Mm -hmm. They can't sing. They play terrible music and they're dicks. You know who you are. You probably don't listen to the show. If you do, <laughs> you know what? Stop. If you do, you now know who you are, and I don't want you to listen to the show. So 
Worse yet for the Benders, the Yorks were just getting warmed up. It wasn't going to be a little, you know, didn't find them, giving up. They're, they were not going to give up. They gathered together, I guess a posse, I don't know if that's the right word, but a yeah. group of searchers that at, would number at times as many as 100. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they started basically doing following William's trail, much like the way he had attempted to follow George Longcore's trail. Right. They got, I guess they, you know, started asking around. I mean, they're from southeast Kansas, but this is not their exact patch. So they started hearing, hey, you know what? If anything bad happened to them, it was probably had something to do with the, the town of Lador. I think they mentioned that in the first one. And Lador was this town that had a bad rep. It's like, yeah. oh, that's what cattle rustlers are and the gamblers and the thieves and things like that. So go check out there. He might have come to a bad end there. So they go to Lador and hot-headed 21-year-old Edward York he he just starts, he was very, Edward had never made a name for himself in the Civil War. So I, some people think he was just sort of, you know, eager to get things done here. For uh-huh. sure, he was kind of got out ahead of it. So he started listening to these rumors and he just started immediately just throwing out wild accusations. Yeah. These accusations quickly centered on a prominent local named James Roach. And he's basically accusing James Roach, like, you did something to my brother, which uh-huh. is kind of just parroting the local gossip, which is based on pretty much nothing. At least in this case, nothing more, that two of the missing people had had some kind of a relationship with James Roach. One, I think, had worked for him for a time. The other, I don't remember. But they had these, you know, a couple of people who were some kind of acquaintance or, or laborer for James Roach. Just like, hey, you know how people talk. Yeah. Just, hey, maybe, it was, you know, maybe he did it. Yeah. So Edward starts saying, yeah, you know what? I think he did it. He has something to answer for. It accomplished a little more than really making life unpleasant for the Roach family. But yeah. That was Edward. So the group was able to trace William, their brother, to the town of Parsons in Kansas because he had visited a general store there and someone recognized him and said, yeah, he was, he was through here. When they're in Parsons, though, a guy named Thomas Beers heard about them, heard, you know, it was, it was the talk of the, the area for sure. And he heard, hey, they're coming to Parsons. That group looking for William York is in Parsons. Thomas Beers had been a salesman. He was, he was young, I think, mid, late 20s, something like that. He had been a salesman. He didn't like it. It was boring. He'd heard about the exploits of the uh, Pinkerton, you know, detectives. Oh, yeah. So he said, I'm going to make myself a detective. He had been, I think he had been, a, for a very short time, he had been sort of refashioning himself as a private detective. Oh, so okay. he ran off and found Edward York and said, hey, I'm a private detective. I'll help you find your brother. Oh, good. Edward hired him on the spot. <laughs> that was Edward. The Yorks knew, okay, we've got this detective now. I mean, they had no idea his experience was next to nothing. Yeah. But they thought, we still need someone who's kind of semi-official or something like that, has some gravitas. So they asked around, like, who's, uh, who's someone who might help us and join our group here, who has some, some standing here? And they were told this guy named Leroy Dick. He was the town counselor at Cherryvale, kind of a local somebody. We remember him the first time because his cousin had gone missing. If you recall okay. from part one, mm-hmm. Carrie's going, mm, I don't think she does. <laughs> Leroy Dick had heard rumors about the Benders, and he knew of the Benders. In fact, he knew them from early on. But, you know, all these rumors were accumulating the, the, the alleged theft they committed, right. the, how obnoxious Kate had been, harassing families, how weird John was, how no one liked Ma and Pa. It's not, I don't think that Leroy Dick necessarily thought the Benders had something to do with all these missing people and, the, and with specifically William York. Yeah. He appears to have said, you know what? You know, if I sick 
the posse on the benders and they leave town because of it, that's a win-win. Sure. So he did. Not like, hey, those are the guys who did it for sure. More like, you know, you might want to go and, and have a talk with those folks and see what's what. Yeah. So that's what he did. He told them about the, the benders and they were going to go talk to the benders. This is now April 4th. A oh, wonderful day. It is. Should, White, should, White be White, should be a national holiday because that's the day that <laughs> Martin Luther King was assassinated. Carrie, is that what you mean? Huh? No. That's pretty awful. The it, hang uh, on, it's my birthday. Okay, yeah, that that's right. <laughs> that's why it should be a national holiday, not because it, the Martin Luther King assassination. Correct. Okay, got it. The Yorks and us, just a, a couple of the people, they didn't want to take the whole posse to do this, so they said, hey, let's have a small group go over there and talk to these benders. It's April 4th, 1873. They did not want to take Edward because he's a hothead. True. So Alexander left with just a, I think it was just Thomas Beers, the detective, and one of the person, a guy named Jim Buster, who was a neighbor of Williams. Oh, and okay. Could, I, that's, that's it. So those three guys... Went to the benders just to talk to him, mm-hmm. and what they did is they pretended they had seen circulars about Kate and her, you know, medium powers. So they said, "Hey, I have an idea. Let's yeah. go with them pretend we're potential clients, and that hey, maybe she can tell us something about our. We're looking for our missing brother William. Yeah. Can you contact him if something bad happened to him?" They went there. They they did that little ruse. Kate does her little rigmarole, and I guess Jim Buster, the neighbor of Williams, was just like openly scoffing, disgusted with her, and this pissed her off, sent her into a pout. So, you know, those types of people, the last thing they want is, is a disbeliever, an unbeliever right. in their midst. They always, you know, so they, she said, I just, ah, this unbeliever is preventing me, preventing me from contacting the spirits. And she pretended she just couldn't do it. Yeah. And so it, my guess is that they the benders were probably suspicious that these people were suspicious right. about the benders. And so, I, that, I mean, that, I, I, I think that's likely. So it's possibly to distract the group and kind of send them elsewhere. John Bender Jr. pipes up at this point and he says, hey, there's a site out by the river where I found a body and, um, of an unknown person and also, when I had been out there, I was shot at. Somebody tried to shoot me. Maybe that's the same people who did something bad to your brother. Yeah. Come on, let's go. So he takes them out there. And he is probably just to, to get them away. Right. And he takes them out there. Alexander agrees to go out there with him. And they go out there. And he puts on a big show. And he's looking around. And he spots the grave. And so they start digging it up. It was a dead body. Yeah. Of a pig. Oh. This is the dead pig. Yeah. That's all it was. This whole story about the shot, the shoot is nonsense. And they, they quickly realized he was full of shit. So they went back to the cabin and said, we're out. It, it's likely, Alexander didn't suspect anything. He just thought these are just very unlikable people, but they don't have anything to do with my brother's disappearance. Yeah. So on the way out, though, as they leave, Kate kind of pulls Alexander aside and she kind of tells him, hey, next week, why don't you come back here alone? Or at least not with any unbelievers. And you know what? I'll talk to the spirits in the meantime, and I'll find out what happened to your brother. He very curtly said, hard pass, and Good. left. Phew. And by the way, he did invent the phrase, hard, hard pass, pass, little yeah. known. So he, Alexander would kick himself for the rest of his life that he was just not suspicious. He yeah. thought, don't like him, didn't have anything to do 
with my brother. Thomas Beers, however, would, would later claim that he was suspicious of the Benders right there after that first visit. And he, he said, we got to do something. So we went back to Leroy Dick, and they told him, you know what? You might have been right there. We're sus- well, at least Thomas is suspicious of these Benders. What should we do? And so Leroy says, you know, I got an idea. We don't really have any kind of probable cause. So let's have a town meeting, invite everybody from the area, in Cherry- and Cherryvale, presumably, and we'll just say, hey, all these people have gone missing. Let's all agree to allow our homes to be searched. All of us. No one has anything to hide in this room, right? Yeah. And, and the Benders were there. Pa and John Bender Jr. were at the meeting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, therefore, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll find something to do with, with not just William York, but anybody who has disappeared in these right. last many months and a couple of years by now, almost. Pretty much everybody rose and said, absolutely. Search my house. No problem. Somehow, John Pa Bender appeared to have slipped out of the meeting a little early. Yeah. And their cabin was not searched. This had become kind of almost a statewide news now. And the disappearance of a prom of York, William York from this prominent family right. made it an even bigger story. Remember, Alexander York was a former state senator and the guy that, who brought down Samuel Pomeroy. So the governor of Kansas, Thomas Osborne, offered a $500 reward hmm. for, you know, finding uh, William York's do-batters. That's the word I'm looking for, the people <laughs> who heard him. But... I'm sure it's do-batters. I think it is. That's a, that's a new word. At that point, though, the trail grew almost immediately very cold. Most locals continue to think it's this band of outlaws. Yeah. You know, they move in and out of the territory. They may be even gone now. Uh, you know, it's eight men and a girl have disappeared over the last six months. Two wow. of them had turned up dead, but you know, so, so it was a big issue. They searched yeah. cabins, at least of the willing. They dragged creeks and rivers. They plumbed wells. They chased every rumor anywhere it led. Yeah, nothing. So they looked. They looked pretty, pretty hard. Thoroughly. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. But the trail grew almost immediately cold in the next few days after the visit to the Bender household on yeah. April fourth. On April 9th, that is five days after the visit to the Benders, someone found a wagon hidden outside a town called Thayer. It's a town south of Cherryvale, and Thayer had a rail station at the time. Oh, okay. The rail was just really merging and getting, and, 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 and um, rail lines were just starting to, to be in the area and reach more destinations. This rail line, by the way, went south into Texas and through the Oklahoma Territory, which is meaningful. Mm-hmm. In the wagon, they found this mongrel dog would attack anybody who tried to investigate what was inside the, the wagon, which had been abandoned, by the way, um, the dog and the wagon. And, and, the, and the wagon was kind of half-ass hid in like a, a clump of brush just outside the town, but they, people yeah. you know, found it, as I mentioned. The newspapers, did they wrote the story about this because, you know, not a lot of news going on. And they even mentioned that the wagon's wheels were improperly dished, dished. as we learned about. Yeah. And the sign on it that was supposed to say groceries was misspelled. These are two things that wagon had in common with the wagon owned by the Benders, but no one made the connection at this point. Mm-hmm. In early May, so... Almost a month later, a guy named Billy Toll was corralling his cattle back toward his land, and his route took him right past the Bender cabin. He's, you know, uh, 
passing the Bender Cabin, presumably on the Osage Trail. And again, that, remember, it's just kind of a long strip of land along the trail, and he hears some kind of animal whining. And, you know, he's, he's walking slowly, and the whole time the animal keeps whining and whining, and no one's coming to tend to it, which is yeah. weird out in the... You, you would tend to your animal when it seemed to be in distress. So he thought that was strange. So he heads off the trail and goes up toward the Bender Cabin. When he gets close to it, in kind of the front of the, the land before you get to the cabin, he does. He finds this wheezing pig in front of the cabin in tremendous distress. Like, it's, it's on the ground and Aww. just, like, dying. Yeah. He goes into um, the stable where there's kind of a little bit of a stench coming from it, mm-hmm. and he finds a dead calf. And this is weird. It's just oozing stink yeah. from the stable. He thinks that's odd. There is an even more potent stench, stench coming from the cabin, though, the actual cabin where they lived and had their little dry goods store. Yeah. Also in that cabin is a swarm of buzzing flies. So he, Billy Toll, gets the hell out of okay, there. Okay, good. He's spooked. He's freaked out a little bit. On his way toward his homestead again, he meets a group of travelers, and he tells them the story. Hey, you won't believe what I just found at the Bender Cabin. Yeah. So they say, this little group says, okay, we're on our way in that direction. You know, we're going to, maybe we'll take a look. We'll see mm-hmm. what we can see. The group included two real estate agents named Swartz, Swartz and Brooks. And I, I guess one of the motivations may have been because they all the depredations, these missing people, had really screwed up their business, <laughs> you know, selling homes and land yeah. in southeastern Kansas. So it's like, mm, we want to find out. I, I don't know if they suspected what they found, right. maybe. What they found, though, immediately at least, was a deserted bender cabin. No one's there. The only dry good they had left was a half-open can of beans. Oh. But, you know, they didn't know. I mean, they, they never had a lot there. Again, the, the, we now know the whole dry good things in the inn was just to get people to, right. to yeah. stay over the night and maybe never leave. And they, but still, so they're not sure. In fact, they think possibly the Bender family had fallen victim to these band of bandits out there roaming the countryside, right. robbing and killing people. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess is not impossible, right? Yeah. Thank you. Carrie agrees. It's not I impossible. Do. Yeah. The news spread very quickly. So the next day, now May 5th, Leroy Dick and a group from the York investigators, the posse, mm-hmm. went to the Bender cabin. They found what you know what they were told they're gonna find this filthy, stinking cabin. The worst smell. Wait, can I ask you a question? Yes. How much time had elapsed since they were there? About a month. Okay. So it's nasty. It's even stinkier and nastier than the time before they're there, when the bandits were there. Yeah. They go behind that camera, that canvas sheet that divides the front half from the back half. They go behind that into the back half, and they, the worst smell comes from the back corner where there's like an old nasty mattress. They pull the mattress away, and they find a trap door. Mm-hmm. And the trap door leads to kind of a little cellar they had dug out. Yeah. They open up that trap door, and then the stench that hit them is just absolutely overwhelming. Nice. So, But, interestingly enough, they don't find any bodies in that cellar. At least they don't see any signs of... It's pretty much empty. They don't yeah. see any bodies in there. There is like a massive, just disgusting muck at the bottom of it, though. That's enough. Yeah. It's clearly rotting, decomposing something. Something. So at this point, Dick said he knew that the Benders hadn't been attacked 
by the monsters terrorizing southeastern Kansas that they were yeah. those monsters. They found three hammers lying under the stove. One, one was a homemade five-and-a-half-pound sledgehammer. The other two were just sort of, like, I think one was a claw hammer, but, you know, think of, that'll come up later. That's a plant. Yeah. <laughs> It'll have a payoff later. So they go back to Harmony Grove, Dick does. On the way back, he ran into two men on the trail, and they had just been to Thayer, where that wagon was found. Right. They had seen the abandoned wagon. They lived in the Cherryvale and Harmony Grove area where the benders did, and they mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's the bender wagon that had been abandoned in Thayer. Okay. Which told Dick immediately that, that remember, that had been, ban- that had been found on April 9th, almost a month ago. So yeah. Dick goes, Jesus, they've been gone for over three weeks. They and could be anywhere. By this now. was near a train station, yeah, right? Yeah, Thayer okay. had a train station okay. there. In yeah. there. So he, he figured out, he deduced that pretty quickly, that, yeah, yeah they abandoned their their um, wagon there, and they got on the train. And mm-hmm. they abandoned their dog. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. And their pig and their calf. They did. Yes, they did. But obviously, they don't want anybody to know they've gone. They... They almost certainly left that night. I'll bet you. Yeah. The next morning, because they, I mean, who knew, they couldn't know that Alexander would not think them suspicious. Right. And he didn't. They they got very lucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Alexander had thought them suspicious and came back the next day, their trail would have been hot. Yeah. Now it was, as it turned out, it was it was a month later, pretty much, when they folks started searching for them. So they came the next day, May sixth with a larger group to give a proper search, to conduct a proper search of the Bender cabin and all the property. They wanted to be super thorough. They got, okay, let's check the creeks, let's check the stables, let's check the cabin, let's check that horrific cellar, cellar for sure. Yeah. So the cellar itself was about six feet deep. It was wider at the top, mm. about seven feet, than at the bottom, where it was about three feet wide. Oh. So it's like a, I don't know, like a, a V kind yeah. of, but a flat bottom. At the bottom, they found a stone slab, and so they dug it out, pulled it out, and Billy Toll, the guy who had kind of you know, know, found the, the wheezing pig the other day, he offered to go down into the cellar Ooh. with another man named Silas. They go down there with, with shovels and, and see what they could find out. Yeah. So Silas sunk his shovel into the muck at the bottom there, and when he drew it out, it drew out with it a horrific stench, even even worse. It, the, the stench just never stopped coming in this story. Ugh. They had found, indeed, the first evidence of human remains on the Bender property. Oh, it would turn no. out later that it was just kind of blood and loose stuff <laughs> down there. Mostly, a lot of it was blood. Yeah. Um, soon... A crowd form, you know, again, word goes out. People started coming to the Bender household and see the, the search that is being conducted. I know. Well, people are, are pretty ghoulish about yeah. awful things. They still are, always will be. Edward York arrived on a speeding horse and buggy, just careening through the crowd. What's going yeah. on? He arrives. Uh, earlier, before Edward got there, the, they, you know, remember the cabin is over this cellar, and they thought the ce- they're still looking in the cellar because they thought they'd find bodies there. Right. And so they took horses, and they, I don't know, tied a rope around the cellar. And they, I'm, I'm sorry, the house, the cabin, remember the 16 by 24 foot cabin? Yeah. They literally pulled the cabin aside 
oh, to wow. expose all the, <laughs> the bottom floor of the cabin, including the cellar. So, so it, easier to dig. It wasn't a very secure it structure with a good foundation no. then. No, it wasn't. <laughs> they just moved it aside. And so they're all digging at the cellar there, and the, the, men, the men who are actually searching around there, Edward comes, and they won't let him... You know, they're yeah. afraid of what they might find. Right. And so they don't let Edward in there digging with them. So he just kind of wanders off and he, he mm. actually goes into the cabin itself. And inside the cabin, he found a bridle, a horse bridle. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's my that's brother's my bridle. Brother. I recognize that. Yeah. He knew what this meant right away. So he stepped outside and he just wanted some air. He's reeling. He just sort of absently looked out toward the orchard. They had an apple orchard. And he noticed a bump on the ground just before the trees. Around that mound, I guess, he spotted some cracks in the ground. So he's thinking, he's thinking what he's what we're all thinking. Right. Someone went and got a ramrod from a musket and they sunk it. They plunged it into the mound. And about four feet or so deep it seemed to hit something. Uh-huh. Which I didn't know they were that deep. That big? Are they there? That I mean, I don't know. I, I guess so. Uh, uh, again, they pull it out, and a stench wafts oh, up Lord. from this hole when the rod comes out. So many smells. Yeah, a lot of smells. So they went and they got shovels and spades, and they started digging, and they found a body about five feet. They found a body. Yeah. Edward come over. He kneels down and he peers into the hole and he whispers, "My brother," to the person Aww. next to him. William's body had a massive cut across his throat and his skull had been shattered with two different blunt instruments. So the three hammers came immediately to mind and Leroy yeah. Dick took possession. I think he put him in his saddlebag because he thought people were going to, people were already taking souvenirs. Right. So yeah. he thought people were going to abscond with those. So he had hid them in his saddlebag and he knew, he was thinking, okay, I think those are probably murder weapons. Yeah. And Alexander York then arrived, and he comes up there, and one of the men with the group that was sort of keeping vigil there looked at Alexander and pointed out toward the orchard where the trees were, and he said, reckon there's more graves, sir. Alexander looks out there where he's looking, and together they can discern five more bumps in the soil in amongst the trees in, in between them. So on May 7th, the next day, they started pulling out more bodies from the ground in that orchard, they're all rotted and they're battered. One yeah. was named Henry McKenzie. He was Leroy Dick's cousin who had visited him that night before he left leaving for independence, who Leroy had not looked up on, not, not checked right. up on, but yeah. you know, again, not, not sure. his fault. Yeah. Uh, his head had been crushed in three places. Like York's, his body was naked except for an undershirt, and his neck had also been slashed, or his throat had. His arms, by the way, had several defensive wounds, so they didn't take him by the kind of surprise they appeared to have taken William York by. Another was William McCrotty. He was identified by a tattoo. Another body was later recognized as Benjamin Brown, and he was identified by a silver ring that he'd always been super proud of and showed off and told everybody about, look at my Uh silver ring. So someone saw that ring, but otherwise his face was so decomposed, they couldn't recognize him. Surprising, they'd leave a ring on his finger. Uh, that is surprising. They must not have been able to get it off. Why they didn't yeah. cut his finger off, I don't know. But Ugh. yeah, I'm surprised as well. And that was the whole reason. I mean, they took their clothes to sell their clothes. Right. That's how thorough they were in yeah. a hideous way. George Longcore's body was found as, as well, like the others, throat slashed, skull crushed. Then they found a tiny little mound. 
Oh. It did indeed yield little Marianne Longcore. Sorry. Should we do a warning? <sighs> we probably should. Would you yes, have, we we'll, definitely we'll should do definitely a, do a warning. warning. So, you know, it's a, it's, they're finding just much more horror than they ever thought they'd find. Refusing to give up on his son-in-law and granddaughter, George Longcore's father-in-law named Robert Gilmore had come to Kansas even before these discoveries. Remember, he was going to Iowa. George and Marianne hadn't shown up. Yeah. He actually had come to Kansas looking for his son-in-law, and he was told that they're finding these bodies out by the benders. So he, he went out to the bender cabin, and he identified Aww. George. And he, for the first time ever, he met his granddaughter. He had right. never seen her before. The last body found remained unidentified until a friend of Mary Ferrick came forward. She, her husband had disappeared. Right. Her husband, James, he had disappeared way back in the winter of 1871. Yeah. Mary had written f- the mutual friend, Mrs. Watton. Remember the Wattons? He was going to go stay with the Wattons, unknown to Mary. She yep. had written Mrs. Watt- Watton many times from New York, anguishing over her lost husband. So Mrs. Watton goes out there to look at, at this last unidentified body. And I guess due to decomposition, she refused to identify it as James. It had to have been pretty right. obvious it was him. But yeah. they didn't know. There could have been other people they didn't know about missing. Sure. So, And she wouldn't identify James Ferrick. Months later, Mary wrote Mrs. Watton again because she read about the story in the New York newspapers. Remember, she had gone to New York to stay with her family for a right. while. Mm-hmm. So um, Mrs. Watton, Relance goes out there again. And I, I read that it took a full year after the discovery of these bodies before James Ferrick was officially identified as James Ferrick. Yeah. And that was the last body that had been unidentified. An eighth body came up from the Bender's well. Oh, Leroy Lord. Dick knew them. this man. He said, that's Johnny Boyle, who also went by the name John Geary. No idea why. His body was so decomposed, they couldn't even determine the death. There wasn't enough flesh there to see. Well, how did he know death. it was him? I, I think it was his clothes. That's I'm weird. not positive, though. Yeah. So, But you add William Jones... Who, remember the guy who had been found earlier in Drum Creek in the water in the creek? Yeah. Then there's that unidentified corpse at the campsite found earlier. There was the guy, John Phipps, who was left to rot out on the prairie and found a little while ago. Together, that made 11 known victims of the benders. Mm. Most locals just figured, who knows how many there are. Right. In fact, there's, there's stories that they found other kind of body parts, and they could have been as many as 20 victims, but I'm not sure what that means. I didn't read that in the best source on this. So, But still, a minimum 11 bodies that were found. Well, because my question is, what was the muck from in the cellar if the bodies weren't there? We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to the the, kind of their MO. But yeah, it's a good question. So locals and authorities in the area also felt that, you know, the Benders weren't doing this alone. There must be you know, they had there's thieves and there's fences that yeah. would be involved in this kind of criminal network in a sense. And so they thought, you know, other people in this area may have been Confederates of them. Suspicion fell on a guy named Rudolf Brockman because he was a German like the Benders and he was a neighbor of the Benders and on good terms with them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think they're talking, you know, remember, they're, they're out there for a couple, two or three days, dig them, and probably longer, digging up the bodies and, and looking for more evidence. And yeah. during early on in this period, Brockman one night, comes up to the dig site just to, you know, he's a local, he's just like these other kind of ghoulish locos, see what's going on. When he gets there on his horse, the mob rips him down 
oh, no. off of his horse and they drag him screaming into the cabin. They quickly wrestled a noose over his neck and they tossed the rope up over a roof beam. Based on? Based on the fact that he was a friend of the Benders and they thought maybe, and they thought that the Benders had Confederates and helpers in the area. They weren't doing this alone. So maybe he's one of them. They pulled Brockman up and he kicking and screaming and gasping for air at the very brink of death. They cut him loose and we fell on the floor. They demanded he confess. Mm -hmm. He refused. They pulled him up again on the noose. They cut him loose again, demanded he confess he refused again. He said he was innocent. He had nothing to do with anything. Right. The third time they pulled him up, they let him stay up. And then when he stopped moving and kicking and gasping, they cut him down and figured he was dead and they, they left the cabin. After pretty much everyone was outside of the cabin except for Brockman's body, he suddenly bolted up, gasping for air, yeah. and was able to stagger to his feet he comes lurching out of the cabin right by the people who just tried to kill him. Right. And as fast as he could, walks Ran off away. into the night yeah. and getting uh, back to his home. The, apparently the mob's bloodlust had been sated, I guess, because they just let him go. Hmm. But that was the instantaneous mo- kind of mob justice that was going on here. I and mean, there was a tremendous amount of anger. Well, uh, justifiably yes, so, but, but not... That's not cool, guys. No, it's not. You tell him, Carrie. Take a bold <laughs> stance there. A bold stance against lynching. Good for you. Yes. All right. When the bodies were discovered in the, in the Bender's homestead, it seemed obvious to Dr. Keebles and the others that we, we think we know what, what happened here. So they deduced that visitors who were probably targeted because they may have had some money, mm-hmm. remember the, the priest who was getting donations yep. and things like that, they would bring, you know, they'd stop there. If they, if they identified someone who was a good target, they would have them sit at that, remember that table, that long table, and they would have them sit with their back to the canvas sheet that divided the, the room. Yeah. On the opposite side, side of the table would be, they, they figured probably Kate. She was glib, she was entertaining. She would, maybe they were feeding them, right? Give them a hot meal. Maybe she's doing a reading for them. Yeah. Maybe, or, or maybe they're playing cards or something like that. So she would distract them, keep them distracted. And, and the canvas, she would be right behind them, very close to them. And they figured while Kate entertained, John Jr. or Pa Bender, or maybe even both, would get those hammers and just boom, strike them behind the canvas or, or sneak up to them. It's not clear. Uh, and as their back was turned to the canvas and just, they think, pound them with the head. That's where the skulls got shattered. And then they'd fall to the ground. Maybe they'd do another couple of, of, of blows to the head. And then the throat slash was the coup de grace to make sure they were dead. Yeah. They then think they were probably dumped in the cellar to bleed out before oh. they were undressed, taking their money and, and, and buried somewhere else or dropped, or as that one guy's case dropped in the well or earlier on just dropped down the prairie. Remember mm-hmm. that one guy was dropped in the Drum Creek? So that's why the muck was probably mostly blood. blood. There could have been some tissue. Hmm. But that's that was their, they figured that was their their MO. Also, they think they, they preyed on travelers, as we mentioned, because they didn't have ties to the immediate area. I mean, it, it's very clear, though, that there was always malice of for, a forethought, yeah. right? You're not going to bring someone into your house, kill them, I'm, I'm sorry, rob them, 
and then and let, let them, them go. go. Remember, it happened that yeah. one time, but they were kind of surreptitious about it, and it brought yeah. a lot of, of you know bad vibes their way. So they staked their claim right along the well-traveled Osage Trail. They set up this half-assed dry goods store and inn. That was clear. That, I mean, again, they made no pretense of having right. any decent shit to buy, and they did this in a region where they knew these kinds of way stations were very few and far between. That, that's, and they went out to this area, this frontier area, without those kinds of places. And they opened up exactly that kind of place, which is this magnet for people who are not from the area who could have some money because they're traveling. Right. So um, murder clearly was a means to an end, which was robbing them and making money off them, but it was for sure always part of the plan. Yeah. So they were knowingly going to kill a lot of people right. to get their cash and clothes. Yeah. Not good. No. There were some defensive wounds found on some of the bodies, and there were even some bullet holes in the walls and the roof of the Bender cabin. So investigators thought, you know, some people put up a fight. Yeah. But unfortunately, none of them put up a fight that was successful. Yeah. So that's part two. <sighs> of the uplifting Bloody Benders saga. Carrie seems um, really... Traumatized. Traumatized right now. Mm-hmm. We will Part three will come up next. That's going to f- focus on... Remember, part of the legend of the Benders is this idea that they just disappeared and were never seen again, and it's amazing. Could not be further from the truth. What is even much, much more amazing is not only did people, authority folks, know, know where they were. They knew very close to where they were and were hot on their trail for a long time Yeah, before the benders did indeed eventually disappear in a sense. So it was actually, there's a lot of detail about what they did, where they went oh. in their flight from justice. It's also a sensational trial where people think they found Ma and Kate Bender years later. So we'll talk about oh. that too. It was okay. quite the cock up. Okay. As they say. <laughs> Is that what they say? That's what they say I've never heard anybody say that. So that will be part three next of week? the next week of the Bloody Benders. Until then. Happy thanks dreams. For listening. We will after that, <laughs> after part three, we will for sure do one of Carrie's classic Carrie's, uplifting yes, heartwarming. Fun, heartwarming tales. Okay. Yes. I promise. We promise. I, I got more planned. She does. Thanks for listening. Okay. See so, yep.